Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. This this war going on with, uh, t- among tech companies and governments is, is growing and going every single day, something new, another story, another issue. And uh, really, there's no one I, I'd like to talk to you more about this topic, these topics, is my guest today, Barbara Comstock, who's a longtime regular here on the Price and Business Show, former member of Congress, uh, former Justice Department official, and uh, someone who really understands technology and the law like uh, very few others do. Uh, Barbara, as always, welcome back to the program. Why don't we uh, set the stage with this uh, case Another one, another one of these issues, and I think we're going to see more and more. And I think with each one we see, we're going to see the results of those cases temper future cases. But we'll have to see. Uh, but Gonzalez versus Google, set the stage for us. Well, it's being um, argued uh, before the Supreme Court today, even as we speak, and um, it's about um, you know it's sort of the intersection of. Uh, sort of the whole internet economy and how it operates, but also um, who's responsible, um, you know, in whole or in part for the creation or development of content. In this case, it was, um, you know, ISIS videos got put up, which are actually in violation of uh, Google's policy. Um, But, um, you know, the people who put them up are the ones responsible. And Section 230 um, said, you know, it's the people who put them up who are responsible, and that's why um, they wrote that Section 230 back in the 90s, uh, both a conservative and a liberal who wrote them, Congressman Chris Cox and uh, then-Congressman Ron Wyden, who's now a senator. Um, and, you know, unless, uh, per- you know, you have to sue the person who was the publisher or the speaker of the content. So nobody obviously condones the content or minimizes the harm at all. Um, and, you know, YouTube Terms of Service prohibits, you know, that type of material. But when it gets through, you know, we, we want people to be able to moderate content and do that. But the purpose of Section 230 is, we, is that, and, and this was in the debate in Congress, is that you understood that there would be imperfect moderation and we didn't want to punish uh, parties for imperfectly trying to moderate it because the alternative was you just had platforms where anything goes and there wasn't even any attempt to moderate. So that's mm-hmm. you know the debate that's going on is you know how you know who do you punish? And Section 230 says you know you punish the people who um, create uh, the content. And actually, what's also going on right now is if you want the debate about if you want to change Section 230, who is going to change it, the courts or Congress? So in today's Supreme Court argument, that's been something that's come up too. You know, okay, if you don't like Section 230 and how it operates, you've had a lot of dependence on Section 230 and the whole creation of the Internet and how it works and free speech and the economics of the Internet and businesses and how they operate. So if it is going to be changed, shouldn't it be Congress that changes it? And, of course, we know there are many bills that are out there, both from a conservative standpoint and a liberal standpoint. We've discussed those many times. And uh, that's what's really going on right now. Whether you like Section 230 or not, there certainly is a strong argument that Congress is the better body to um, make those changes and, in fact, 
uh, Justice Kavanaugh. I caught that brief, you know, I caught that right before we were getting um, on to discuss today, um, made that exact point that um, while uh, there may be some who argue that, you know, you, you don't like the way it operates, uh, why would these nine people, and in fact, Justice Kagan also pointed out, hey, you know, maybe we aren't the best experts on the Internet, these nine people, maybe Congress, you know, so again, that Congress would be yeah. the better body to make those decisions. Well, I think Article 1, Section 8 kind of makes that clear, right, in the Constitution. You know, uh, what, what, what would you have, you know, and that's what, what con this is what Congress's job is. It lays it out there, Article 1, Section 8, you know, and, and uh, really what uh, so many people are trying to use the Supreme Court is in a regulatory function, which this court, by the way, did something very unusual not that long ago, this most recent court, in saying, yeah, this administrative state that you're trying to create, that it really doesn't line up with the uh, Constitution, you know, and they uh, directly uh, impacted uh, regulations that were done. This kind of policy you're talking about is like the administrative state on steroids. Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, certainly when liberals felt they had the votes on the court, they wanted to go to the court to get liberal decisions. And now often you're seeing conservatives, want, they look at the court as another legislative body. And so probably I think it's a good thing when conservatives, you know, certainly they did it during the, um, certainly all of the Trump, uh, you know, election uh, decisions, you know, Trump thought it was his court. They said, no, we are following the Constitution. I, I think, um, now you never want to make predictions with the Supreme Court. I certainly am not the expert uh, to make uh, those decisions either. But as I was looking at experts, certainly that are uh, far better experts than I, on this, they were looking at, you did see both um, more uh, liberal members of the court as well as conservative kind of have a humility about, you know, maybe this is something that Congress is better suited to make the decisions upon. And that's actually, if you look at, and actually, you know, Net Choice, which did file, you know, that I work with, as I've mentioned often, um, they filed uh, briefs in this case. And I, uh, you know, on Twitter, I've uh, linked to um, some of those uh, briefs. And I've also linked to, I think it's about a 10-minute discussion from Congressman Chris Cox, where he really carefully lays out why they and how they came to write Section 230 and why he still thinks it's very applicable to today's time. Um, it was and why he sought out a liberal co-sponsor to do it because he thought it was very important that when you were talking about regulating speech, which is what this is, you don't want to have it change whether there's a Republican administration or a Democrat administration. And so the two of them felt it was very important. They looked at the beginning of the Internet and realized this is going to be a whole new ball game. You had this growing phenomenon where you were going to have thousands of new voices on these platforms that was going to give opportunities to all kinds of people um, to get voices on platforms, obviously good and bad. But if it were to be regulated, um, you wanted to have it be um, regulated with a light touch. Um, also, you still have, you know, you still can, you know, the people who put it up there, whether it's criminal or defamatory, you can go after them. And you wanted mm -hmm. those people held responsible, not the platforms themselves. 
and they didn't want it to be politicized by um, different administrations so that you would have a Democrat administration come in and say, well, we want to criminalize conservative speech or a, a, um, a Republican administration trying to criminalize uh, you know, uh, Democrat right. speech. So that was really the challenge that they were facing, and I think they feel strongly that that is um, held up well over time. My apologies. My dog is barking. Yeah. You said something that uh, obviously upset your dog, so uh, I get that. Everyone has an opinion. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that uh, is a... Uh, uh, you know, really what I'm hearing from, from uh, Gonzalez versus Google, what, what essentially it would be like a code shower on the entire industry um, if it were to uh, go in Gonzalez's favor. I mean, it would have an incredibly chilling effect, you know, either essentially making it economically impossible for them to even continue that form of promotion or to have such disclaimers uh, in order to, to cover themselves on the front end that uh, it would be very, it would lose a lot of its appeal from an advertiser's perspective. Well, and that's why these are the kind of things I think that Congress should discuss, and they've had hearings about this. And just, you know, kind of like from the commercial standpoint, you think about, you know, we all go on sites and use things like, you know, say Airbnb, where you get reviews, right? You can uh, you can see the reviews of people who have gone to different places or, you know, even on hotels or things. Now, if, you know, people put those comments up, they're my comments. If I say something about something that's false and defamatory about somebody's home, they can come after me, right? But if they were able to sue Airbnb, well, then Airbnb might decide, okay, I'm not going to put up those con I'm not going to allow those to be up there anymore. I'll just and then who does that hurt? Well, that hurts the consumer because, you know, when you see all those comments, it's helpful in deciding should I use it or not. So, if if mm -hmm. we take that away, then the fear of liability and this again is why Chris Cox said they wrote the law was they wanted to encourage um content moderation and people being able to use this uh, in, in the way that would be helpful to consumers. But if you're worried about getting sued by everybody, then you're going to be more cautious and say, okay, Airbnb takes down all those comments, or even on something like Wikipedia. You know, I mean, Wikipedia is a small nonprofit, and without Section 230, they really couldn't do what they do because, you yeah. know, if everybody – I mean, I've had wrong things on my Wikipedia page. I don't go and sue Wikipedia because they put something wrong on there. You know, I, you can go on and correct it yourself, and then somebody comes in and says, oh, you know, you went on and corrected it. <laughs> and, you know, everybody can see what's done. It's all open, but it's not something where people sue. You know, TripAdvisor, the same kind of thing, product reviews. Um, and, you know, you know, people say, well, it's the town hall and, and all of that. But, you know, if you do a town hall and you go in and, uh, it, you know, town halls aren't free-for-alls. If you go to a town hall and you start yelling and screaming and dropping, dropping F-palms, people can kick you out of a town hall, too. They have rules, too. <laughs> so, you know, this is uh, why they wrote Section 230, because they wanted – each, you know, of these platforms to be able to decide what their rules of the road. Now, you know, as we've discussed before, 
different platforms don't have any rules of the road. And then advertisers decide, well, hey, those places that have no rules of the road, I don't want my things up on those platforms because they're they're not pleasant places to be. So we, we can mm-hmm. have those discussions in Congress where we can, you know, people who probably really have that type of expertise and can show the impact on advertising. I mean, we're kind of going through that with Twitter, right? We're seeing the differences of Twitter as we have a new owner. We're seeing, hey, gee, is my feed changing? Are the things I'm seeing changing? What's the advertising changing? You know, he's doing different things than the previous owner did. Conservatives like it more now. It's funny how all these people who wanted to regulate Twitter, now that they like the owner, they don't want to regulate it. Well, it shouldn't be who owns the platform that determines whether you want to go in and regulate a business. That's authoritarian uh, type approach to uh, business that our, that our First Amendment and free market uh, economy, and, and certainly what Congressman Chris Cox and, and Congressman Wyden were trying to avoid in the first place. That's what you know, Russia right. or China do. They want a regulated media and that's not what we do in this country. And, you know, other countries do regulate their media. I think the beauty of our country is we don't. And so if we're going to start down a road of having more regulated media, certainly Congress should be in on it, uh, not just nine people. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, it's not like we haven't regulated it, right? Uh, you know, we did try in the early 20s, uh, actually during the uh, Revolutionary War, uh, uh, after the Revolutionary War, rather, but as we got into the War of 1812, John John uh, Adams uh, legislation out there that ultimately the court overturned uh, against criticizing him during you know uh, during potential war or whatever. You know, and we had the Fairness Doctrine under mm-hmm. under Truman that uh, Reagan finally got rid of, and how much more innovation took place uh, in media uh, with the demise of a Fairness Doctrine that really was anti-First Amendment. We know that the First Amendment works. We know that uh, free speech regulation efforts have largely failed short of not yelling fire in a movie theater. You know, so, you know, there's, there's a few that actually does work, but uh, as a rule, it does not work. Um, as we wrap it up, your thoughts, a little for prognostication, because this case is happening right now, as you mentioned, arguments going on right now. Um, uh, some final thoughts on what you think you, you see unfolding and uh, also how people can keep track of you and what you're up to when it comes to all things media, which is a lot. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter, um, at Barbara Comstock, and they can also follow uh, NetChoice at netchoice.org, but also uh, NetChoice on, on Twitter, and I think you'll see a lot of these arguments in this case today, and I think it would be worth uh, following it a little, and, and really, you know, if, if you're inclined to really nerd out and listen to some of the arguments, but um, I, I do think... Um, if, if anyone wants to take that 10 minutes to kind of listen to somebody who was, you know, Congress, former Congressman Chris Cox, who not only was a congressman, but he was a, uh, um, a counsel to President Ronald Reagan. He was a Federalist Society lawyer. He was head of the SEC. This is, you know, one of the smartest lawyers around, but he just gives, you know, in about nine minutes or so, a very thoughtful, detailed 
I, I think, you know, First Amendment analysis sort of around, you know, it goes around the world, talks about the European Union, what they do, and in some countries how you still can't say something bad about a king or a queen without getting thrown in jail, you know, not just in China or Russia, but some other countries around the world. We have a very different system, which I think it, uh, has uh, done us very well, and uh, whether you're liberal or conservative, uh, you don't want to throw that out just because your team's in power. Uh, we've, you know, fought for a long time to uh, for those First Amendment principles, and I, I think we should uh, continue to uh, fight to keep them. And I think that's Barbara really Comstock, what this case today is about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, all about. Thanks so much for giving us your insight, and we look forward to seeing how that unfolds. And probably a good possibility we will unbox the decision when that comes out, which will probably be during the summer, I assume, like they normally do it. Right. Good to be with you again. Yeah. Good to be with you. Barbara Comstock, thanks so much. We have a link as well uh, whenever we have our content on, and our team's going to try to find that video um, of Chris Cox because that does sound helpful. I am Kevin Cox. Yes.